Well, welcome to Lab Life with the Air Force Research Laboratory. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Kenneth. Hello, Lab Life listeners. Today we have something unique for you. We attended the Air Force Association's Airspace and Cyber Conference. It hosted over 12,000 attendees and had 149 exhibitor booths, but only one podcast station at AFRL's booth, 1001. We had a lot of exciting guests join us in the podcast booth, including Acting Air Force Secretary Matthew Donovan. The Secretary and other Air Force leaders share what excites them most about the future of Air Force science and technology in this episode. In three, two, one. General Cooley, thanks for joining us here today at the Air Force Association's Airspace and Cyber Conference. Uh, we're looking forward to talking to a lot of people um, about what excites them most about the future of Air Force science and technology. Um, could you kick us off and tell us what excites you about the future? Wow, what a terrific question. Um, uh, and there's a lot of things, so I'm probably not going to cover everything that's, that's exciting. One of the great uh, aspects of this job is, as I go across our enterprise, our science and technology enterprise, I am constantly surprised in, in discovery. It's every day a discovery of you know, new and different things that, that we're doing to help the warfighter in a, any variety of ways. Uh, but let me just talk about um, a few things that come to mind immediately. The first one has got to be, uh, I'll say, artificial intelligence, machine learning, autonomy. I kind of bucket all those things into this, this broad category that is autonomy that enables us to do things with fewer people, to do things faster, to make decisions faster. There's, just, there's different techniques to go about doing that, uh, and I'll let the purists fight over the definitions. But in in general, there's a number of uh, autonomy is not new to to uh, our Air Force. There's lots of things that that we tools that we give our warfighters to make their lives easier. The question is, is how far can we go with that? We've started some things with respect to intelligence surveillance analysis uh, to help identify pictures rather than human eyeballs looking at things. We've made significant progress on that, but there still is a lot more we can do. But it's not, it doesn't end there. It's also you know, flying vehicles, autonomous flying vehicles, uh, any number of things. So the world of autonomy uh, and, and building the trust and the relationship between things that are going, going to, you know, virtually be automatic versus how much human control do you exert over it so that you have trust in the overall system. That's a research challenge in and of itself, but each application really need, it needs to be thought through. And so expectations are very high, but I'd say autonomy and artificial intelligence is, is really an exciting area. Another area that has been and continues to be a great promise is directed energy. And I say that maybe because I'm a laser guy, I grew up doing some laser stuff and uh, high power microwaves, but there is a lot of uh, potential applications for that, uh, but it's really hard. That's why we've been working at it for more than 30 years uh, to, to get it. We're really at a, I believe, at a tipping point where we can start to see some specific applications, but we've got to do so in a very safe and way as we deploy these systems and so that's one of the things that has been a, a challenge but I think we're uh, we're at a point where um, we, we should be start seeing some of those systems deploy uh, in the next several years uh, is my hope. So those are just a couple of things that I'm really excited about. There's a whole host of other uh, activities that, that I can go into but you know counter UAS type things, the cyber domain is, is a 
great interest in space. Our space vehicles folks are doing some tremendous things, both on the scientific front as well as just in terms of delivering advanced capabilities. Uh, and so, so just to name a few. So the Air Force Science and Technology 2030 strategy has, um, is in the middle of being implemented and figuring out how to implement that. Can you share anything about the strategy with us? Absolutely. I'm really excited about uh, the, the science and technology strategy for 2030 and beyond. Uh, it has opened up an opportunity for the entire Air Force science and technology enterprise to, I'll say, reevaluate and in some sense uh, uh, reinvent ourselves uh, in ways that I hope, I'm confident, we're going to be able to uh, improve our efficacy in, in delivering technology for the warfighter uh, in the future. So there's a number of activities that are ongoing. Uh, I'll just mention a few. The first is that the first main objective is to develop and deliver transformational capabilities. Now, we can have a debate over what transformational means and, and those kinds of things, and there's many things that we've been working on that are transformational. But, but what we've done in, as part of the strategy is to really focus and set aside resources to say, we've, no, we've got to go identify those things that are no kidding going to make a difference for our warfighter in the types of potential conflicts and challenges that we see in that 2030 and beyond time frame. And there are some significant challenges. Uh, and, and so, for example, the focus on those five strategic capability areas that were identified in the document, I think are really helpful for framing the types of capabilities we need without picking winners. Probably the strongest uh, and most powerful weapon that we have in the United States is competition. Uh, we see that in, in our day-to-day uh, -day lives in, in terms of what the commercial industry brings. Constantly refreshing itself, renewing, bringing new capability uh, to all of our amazement. We need the same thing in the for our warfighters. The military's gotta have ideas competed in such a way that we can bring the best and the brightest. And that means we're not gonna necessarily pick winners. What we wanna do is, is to set the stage for, these are the specific capabilities we need uh, as the future warfight you know, uh, scenarios we're looking at. So what's the best way to approach it? And let industry and innovators around the country help us with the answers. And by that, I mean it's an ecosystem. The ecosystem that contains not just the DOD laboratory folks, and we have some tremendous uh, smart folks who, who are experts both in the military systems as well as technology, but we've also got to tap into academia. We've got to tap into industry, small business innovators, and even working with our allies. And so part of the strategy is to, is to address all of those things and, and really ramp them up as really as high as we can go. Uh, we're making progress with on all fronts, but there's much work to be done. I'm constantly reminded that our Air Force sprang out of uh, a garage shop business, right? When you think about the Wright brothers, right? Uh, they, they were a small business of innovators and disruptors. Um, and so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, where are those next series of innovators that are going to potentially unleash a technology that we want to get to first. And so that's why we've got to partner and constantly scan across the nation and across our allies to ensure that we're engaged in the right technologies. 
Uh, sir, welcome to the podcast. If, if you could uh, explain to us who you are, what you do, what's your day job like? Oh, well, I'm Acting Secretary of the Air Force, Matt Donovan. You know, I usually spend my days in the Pentagon fighting for resources for the Air Force, uh, but it's always great to get out and, and meet the airmen and see uh, what's happening on the cutting edge of the Air Force. That's great. And from your position, what excites you the most about the future of Air Force science and technology? Well, Dr. Roper mentioned something about it today, um, and that's the uh, getting back to the cutting-edge development of, of aircraft and other technologies for the Air Force, sort of back to our heyday in the 50s and 60s, where we had the Century Series fighter development. In the, in the period of 15 years, we prototyped 11 new fighter aircraft and fielded six of them, uh, all in the span of 15 years, so it's just amazing. And uh, what, we're, what we're looking at now is uh, how do we return to that? Um, and back in 1992, uh, uh, it was following the end of the Cold War. The Air Force went through a lot of reorganizations and uh, we used to have uh, two commands that were, uh, one was Air Force Logistics Command and one was Air Force Systems Command. And at the time, um, you know, without any peer competitor facing us down after the end of the Cold War, uh, we decided to consolidate that down into Air Force Materiel Command, right? So we took AFLC and AFSC and put those together. But over the last 25 years or so, the sustainment side of logistics has sort of grown because we aren't buying new airplanes. We're trying to sustain older and older airplanes, which kind of becomes the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And I think we lost what we had with the Air Force Systems Command, which was that developmental engineering and that sort of spark in order to keep developing new airplanes. So as I see our Air Force warfighting integration capability come on board, and, uh, and then also with General Bunch as the new Air Force Material Command, uh, commander, he's really sparking that off again. Where, hey, let's get back to our roots, which is developing that cutting edge technology so that we're inside of that OODA loop that Dr. Roper was talking about when we start facing our peer competitor adversaries. And do you have any messages for uh, the next generation of airmen? Uh, get on board and hold on because we're just moving out and going fast. And, and like I mentioned in my remarks earlier today, look, it's, it's that innovation, it's that, it's that grit and tenacity of our airmen who just want to be uh, part of, a, of amazing technology and making a difference for our nation. So bring it. So I'm uh, General Arnie Bunch. I'm the commander of Air Force Material Command. And Air Force Material Command is the most important MAGCOM in the United States Air Force. If we are going to achieve the national defense strategy and drive to the Air Force we need, we have over 80,000 plus airmen doing everything from science and technology and basic research, uh, acquiring new systems both in the nuclear enterprise and everything else that we have within the Air Force, sustaining legacy as well as the newer platforms that come in, testing everything out, and doing the installation and mission support uh, activities for all of the Air Force. So the most diverse mission, the most important mission, and the most diverse workforce. I am uh, really excited about the future for science and technology because with the S&T 2030 strategy and the importance that's been placed on it by our uh, former secretary and our chief and where we're trying to drive in this competitive environment, 
our ability to do the science and technology in a rapid manner and get capabilities filled is more important now than it ever has been. If we don't do those uh, S&T activities the right way up front and early and stay involved, we won't be able to compete and we won't be able to give our most valued treasure, America's sons and daughters, a competitive edge when we send them into harm's way. And that's really our mission today. AFRL and all of AFMC does its wartime mission each and every day and we have to keep that focus and aggressively attack what we're trying to do our S&T efforts on. I'm Dr. Richard Joseph. I'm the Air Force Chief Scientist. My uh, job is to advise the Air Force uh, Chief of Staff, General Goldfein at this point, and the uh, Secretary of the Air Force on uh, scientific and technical issues. I am expected to be an independent voice to not only the top two leaders in the Air Force, but to all of the senior leaders in the Air Force. So I'm available. Uh, I hang up my little consultation uh, <laughs> shingle, and uh, it's free, sort of. All included. <laughs> All included. Dr. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Lab Life. Um, as the Chief Scientist of, of the Air Force, we really um, think you could provide a lot of insight into what excites you most about the future of science and technology for the Air Force. Could you talk to us about that? Well, I can tell you this. What excites me most are the people we have and especially the young people we have. There's enthusiasm and there's intelligence and there are great educations in here. That's a winning combination. What, if you're asking me what areas do I think are going to be most, uh, most interesting and most important, it's hard to pick. But I will say this, when I look at uh, material science, Material science is on an upward trajectory. It shows no signs of slowing. Every day there seems to be something new. Look at quantum information sciences, and it's in a creative phase right now. And I recently gave a talk to a conference, international conference, on quantum. And I encourage them not to slow down. Some people are accusing them of sort of being in the hype cycle and I said forget that you're in the creative phase just keep going you can always get boring later but right now it's very exciting and then finally I am hoping that we get that we get better at, and better at dealing with complex situations so multi-domain operations are going to require that we are able to not only understand what we are seeing but predict what we can't see yet and so as our understanding of how complex systems develop our, and our ability improves and we learn how to make this all happen very quickly I think that's very exciting now I'm not talking about predicting complex systems uh, a year in advance. I'm talking about maybe 30 minutes in advance. And wow. so it's sort of like predicting the weather. We can walk outside and have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen an hour from now. Uh, uh, three days from now or four days from now is a lot harder. 
and so in a battle in the battle space if we are able to if we are able to assemble all the information we have and constantly update where we think an adversary might be able to go and where we can go, just a short time in the future, I think that's going to be a very powerful tool. But it's going to require the best of the best. It's going to require that we take good care of our scientists and engineers and and the entire team. It's more than just scientists and engineers in the team. There are a whole lot of people who make this whole thing move. Could you explain to our listeners who you are and what you do for the Air Force? Sure. I'm Lieutenant General Jacqueline Van Obost. I'm the Director of Staff. Uh, I work for the Chief and Secretary. Uh, and I ensure that their priorities and the priorities of the National Defense Strategy are being executed by uh, the headquarters of your staff and major commands. That's great. And from your perspective, what excites you most about the future of Air Force science and technology? Well, first, we have a roadmap. Our S&T 2030 strategy gives us a clear uh, vector on where we're trying to take S&T in the future. Our, our ability to focus on vanguards and really give them a name and get everybody to focus on a wicked hard problem is key to success, right? Success begins success. As we see these vanguards developing out and we, we crowdsource and we laser focus on those capabilities and kicking them out, we are demonstrating that we are serious about proving a capability, spinning it off and actually using it in some type of warfare. So the vanguard programs, I think, are going to be key to our success in showing that we're serious. And I'm also very excited about a small portion, uh, AI, uh, that we're getting after, especially uh, with MIT and inside our laboratories. Uh, as you know, uh, AI is just it's a decision tool. It's just an application. The exciting part about uh, what we're doing right now is we are really demonstrating to all of our airmen that one, you can come to us with a wicked hard problem, and two, there are many uh, locations that you can get after this problem with. People have solutions that are commercial and uh, in the department and in other federal departments, and we're gonna be able to share that information with them. This will be able to come together and solve their problems. So what that allows us and, and AFRL to show is that we get it. We get your problems, and we're trying to help from the smaller problems to the bigger problems um, that we're putting together resources and researchers to get after it. Uh, Jeff Stanley, I'm the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Science, Technology, and Engineering. That's uh, a big, long title, and I'm basically the Chief Engineer, Chief Technology Officer. It's a good way to explain it. Yeah. Um, so in that role, you should have great perspective. What excites you the most about the future of Air Force Science and Technology? Well, it, it's not a specific technology. It's what we're doing with these technology is the experimentation, the prototyping, the digital design of the technologies and applying them to the future weapon systems. It's not a specific technology like nanotechnology or hypersonics or you know anything like that. It's it's how we're designing those technologies and playing them into future weapon systems. That's that's what excites me the most because that's what's going to give us uh, the decrease in cycle time in terms of applying technologies to our future systems. Right now, it's 
you know, seven, ten years before we actually transition a technology from the lab into our weapon systems. With today's digital engineering capabilities, we're able to move that technology much faster through prototyping and experimentation into our weapon systems in the speed of relevance. Uh, there's not that gap that we used to Thank you for joining us. All right, thanks. Now I'm Lieutenant General Robert McMurray. I'm the commander of the Air Force's Life Cycle Management Center. We buy pretty much everything the Air Force uses that's not nuclear, not space. So we buy airplanes, communication networks, radios, command and control systems, battle management systems, and uh, weapons. And working that field, uh, what excites you most about the future of Air Force science and technology? We come from that history. You know, was, I think it was von Karman who said that you know, the key was the, the, the technology, but certainly Hap Arnold did. You know, he said our foundation is in research and development, right? And so if you really want an edge, you've got to have good technology. And, and so we've got, to, we've got to keep pushing that edge a little bit. And as you, as you start looking forward, that uh, tech brings you along. The things that I'm looking at right now, that really, I think, are exploding on us. Data analytics, artificial intelligence, uh, potentially uh, quantum. I think there's some material science that's coming along. Uh, as, as we look at how we do our business and move forward, I think that the most near-term thing that I, is really going to change is data analytics. And the uh, final question I had for you was, for a future airman, uh, what message do you have for them as they join on into the Air Force? Yeah, as you come into the Air Force, you got to realize you're, you're entering something bigger than you. And uh, our job is, it doesn't matter who's in charge in the White House, doesn't matter who's got control of what, which House of Congress, uh, our job is to provide for the nation's defense, support and defend the Constitution. So what that means is that we've got to do the right thing with taxpayer dollars to deliver capability to defend our nation. When we do that and do it well, you have a pride and mission accomplishment and a sense of camaraderie with the people who do that with you. That is unparalleled. I talk to people all the time who have left the Air Force and gone to industry, and every one of them to a person says, it's just not the same. Being part of this team, enjoy it as long as you can. And and to be part of the team and be good, you got to be a competent, strong team player and focused on that end item, which is something to, to, to make the mission succeed for the guy downrange. I'm Will Roper, and I have the great honor of running the Air Force's tech company, which is really what doing acquisition is. Acquisition's a Washington term for, for buying the technology, sustaining the technology that we use to go fight and win. But really what it boils down to is there's a side of the Air Force that provides all the tech, that maintains all the tech, that sustains all the tech, does the research for the tech, and all of that is called acquisition. And that's what I get to do every day. So what an awesome job. Absolutely. Um, could you share with, some, with us some of the, your thoughts for the future of the Air Force? Sure. I, the Air Force has made a lot of progress since I've been here, so it's an exciting time to be thinking about the future. Uh, one area that I've seen a tremendous change is our ability to be a digital service. So usually think of government being bad at software and there's a lot of reason to think that if you look backwards but 
looking forward, we've got over 30 agile organizations with sci-fi names like Kessel Run and Kobayashi Maru and Vespin and Level Up and the list goes on and on. But all of them share something that's common, that they're using commercial agile software development practices. They're writing code in weeks, not months or years. And that code is changing the way the Air Force can fight and win, not in the far future, but right now. Software is going to be important in everything. And the next evolution we're making is to go beyond the app development, is to actually go after the infrastructure and platform and to shift all of our software development into cloud. And once our software development is inside one cloud, and we've given it a cool name, Cloud One, so ready to launch, uh, we'll be able to get the same benefits that commercial industry has. We'll be able to use data analytics because our data is stored in a common place that's exposed to tools that can do the analytics. We'll be able to do AI. So the reason that we haven't been able to jump into artificial intelligence and machine learning at the rate of industry is that we didn't put in the foundation to be a good software company first. So the Air Force has done great in that. It's done great at starting to become a commercial investor. So organizations like AFWorks and the Small Business Innovative Research Program are now doing pitch days where they have industry and small business and tech startups come in and pitch an idea and they leave with money that day to go ahead and start working that day with the warfighter, just as if they were working with a private investor. So there's a huge potential to tap commercial resource, commercial capital to do defense work. If we just think of ourselves as an incubator and catalyst for research, not just a researcher per se. That's great. Um, any particular programs that you're excited about? There was a program uh, that was brewing when I came in that was all about replacing the Osprey. And the name that we gave it was Agility Prime because we wanted to build a real life transformer, so like <laughs> Optimus Prime. But as I started thinking about the program, replacing the Osprey and, and building a transformer, cool though it is, would really have us working with just a few companies that can do it, right? The Osprey, cool system, Air Force Special Operational Command needs it, but that's overkill for the direction that commercial industries go in. So Uber and other companies that want to solve the flying car problem, make that profitable, are looking to make billions, but they're not looking to build something as robust as a large Osprey-like vehicle. So we've changed the Agility Prime program into something that looks more like a, a Jetson car project, where we want to use the fact that the Defense Department is not just a funder of research, we're a market. We have a different rule set than commercial industry has. And let's, let's pull the thread on the flying car topic. So if you're trying to build an Uber car to eventually go fly people around in urban areas and deliver packages and do uh, grocery delivery and package delivery and all, all sorts of things that, that take people out of the loop and allow things to be more responsive, you're gonna have to get FAA certification to do it. You're gonna have to do who knows how much independent flight hours and certifications and safety tests, and all of that is gonna be very slow. If you wanna get people in them, it's gonna be even harder. Well, think about, think about moving over to defense. We have all the same challenges. We wanna do logistics. We wanna do it in a contested environment. We wanna be able to do it in a distributed fashion. We need to be able to move people around in a way that's more agile. But we do our own safety certification. We take more risk than, than the private industry, than the domestic industry will. Uh, we're able to pay a different price point than the domestic market can pay. So if you think about it, the defense market, the Air Force market, is actually a great bridge to get the Uber car revolution started earlier and to make sure that once that revolution happens, 
it can also do defense missions and do defense applications. And that's got to be the name of the game for us going forward. The research lab has to not only do its own research, it's got a spot where there's a big commercial trend that we want to get involved to influence its direction so that we benefit from it. And my goal with the Jetson Car Agility Prime Challenge is to get over a billion dollars in private equity to come help us crack the code on getting safe vehicles that can do military mission first and then eventually use the flight hours that we fly, the missions we do, to use that to help make eventual FAA certifications easier. So, and I, I think creating a, a unicorn project inside the Air Force Research Lab would be an awesome step towards becoming that investor, that incubator, that catalyst. Yeah, what a way to get synergy and align our resources towards the same goal. You think about it, every flight hour Air Force Special Operational Command puts in, and they are excited about this project. They want these self-flying vehicles, these flying cars now, because some are small where you can fly two people in, some are larger that can move something as heavy as a car into place, offer so much flexibility uh, to, to do their mission, to do resupply for weapons and ammo and batteries. It's just, and the price points are low compared to what we pay for military systems. So there's the ability to take greater risk with these systems than we normally have. They are super excited. Um, the, the idea that, that we could be out flying and that flight hour being more valuable to the companies we're working with than any money we give them. The flight hours we will fly will be worth billions. Wow. So we need to think about that as part of our leverage and part of how we negotiate. And the fact that we've got warfighters that have a need now that can be met makes this a win-win. Absolutely. And do you have any message for people looking to maybe either take a risk or try something bold they may be uh, nervous about trying here in the Air Force? I do. You know, risk-taking is something that I'd, I'd still like to see us get to another level. And I know, I know sitting in the Pentagon and, and being a, a, a senior leader, which you certainly don't feel like sitting in the Pentagon because you're not making anything. You're, you're contributing paperwork to the mission instead of actual hardware and software. But I know it's easy to say take risk and to have that feel like a talking point. But from my view, we've got to be a moonshot organization. We've got to take some big chances to have big wins. And that means that we're going to have big failures. And so what I promise, I commit to with every fiber of my being is protecting risk takers while I'm in this job. If you're uncertain about taking a big risk, I hope that the first risk you'll take will be emailing me, right? Let me give you that top cover before you even do it. Because the measure of a, of a, a risk well taken is not whether it succeeds or fails, it's the risk reward trade. That's how people invest, that's how we prepare for retirement. We invest, we have no guarantee that we're gonna succeed, but we, we make good investments if it's sound, if what we would gain makes sense based on the risk we take in getting there, the cost we take in getting there. That's the measure of a risk, not the output. So we're not gonna be able to truly shift the, the conversation on this if we only evaluate risk after they're taken and only reward the people that were successful. My view, whether you're successful or not is a roll of the dice. It's the odds that I care about. So email me, get top cover. If you're not comfortable coming this high, email your supervisor, get the validation, but don't sit back, right? The future is either experienced or made. And if we don't take risk, we're gonna experience someone else's future. 
I'd rather make it. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. <laughs> it's a great honor being here. I'm so glad the Research Lab is here at AFA. It's just exciting to see the tech you bring. And for anyone listening, what I ask you to do is turn yourself inside out. Don't think of the lab being in. Think of the lab being outside in our domestic innovation base, doing great ideas. Think about how you can go be a catalyst there and make sure that where there are people innovating out in the private sector, that they think of us as not just a place for resource, that they think of us as a marketplace that can help bridge them to being the next major unicorn. We want to be unicorn makers in our research lab. Uh, my name is Lieutenant General uh, John Thompson. I go by JT. I am the commander of the Air Force's Space and Missile Systems Center in Los Angeles, California. And I'm also the Air Force uh, PEO for space. Wonderful. So what piece of science, technology, or mission are you most excited to tell the Air Force about? Yeah, Ken, so let me start by saying what I'm excited about, but that I think is mature enough already that we need to focus on other things. And so in the space domain, one of the most popular topics, a uh, lot of money, a lot of politics, a lot of uh, uh, innovation going on is the United States' launch industrial base. So from national security space launch through civil and commercial launch, all the way down to uh, commercial and privately funded small launch. There's tremendous innovation going on that we reap the benefits every day. In fact, I would say our rocket industrial base or our launch vehicle industrial base is the envy of the rest of the world. Consequently, when I come to Washington, D.C., when I come to many, many leadership organizations within the Department of Defense and within the U.S. government, people want to talk about launch. It is the most visible part of our enterprise. Rockets are super cool. But there's all sorts of great S&T going on there, and I don't feel the need that I have to go out and uh, advocate for more S&T involvement in the launch enterprise, because it's already chugging. One of the things that uh, where we really could use some help from a S&T perspective is the concept or the mission area of space control. Obviously, war fighting in space is sort of a new concept. Um, we have considered space to be a benign environment. As General Hyten, the U.S. STRATCOM commander says, a lot of our satellites are big, juicy targets up on orbit. They're high-value assets. So the technologies associated with things like protecting those high-value assets, with ensuring that the space weapons that our Chinese and Russian adversaries um, have developed and are continuing to develop. How do we counter those space weapons and defend ourselves? And how do we present an asymmetric offensive advantage for ourselves in case there is a war fight in space? We always like to, to say, and, and our national policy is really, we're not gonna start a war in space, but if one starts, then we have to be able to win it. So S&T from a material science, from an in-space propulsion standpoint, from a protected data links standpoint, from a, a sensing perspective in terms of what's going on in the space environment around you, 
all of those S&T functions our S&T areas are things that we're interested in spending more time on and have more interest in. And our great partners uh, like Colonel Eric Felt and uh, Air Force Research Lab Space Vehicles Directorate are helping us get there. And my final question was, uh, for new airmen looking to get in the space field, whether that's with R&D or like you mentioned, working in uh, manufacturing and beyond, what message do you have for them? So it's a great time to be in space. I mean, the the establishment just less than three weeks ago of the U.S. Uh, Space Command, uh, or I guess I should call it the reestablishment of uh, U.S. Space Command, the proposal that the administration has on the Hill um, that's being debated in the NDAA process for a space force are things that are tremendously exciting from the operational perspective. I think it's uh, uh, really interesting, but my own personal uh, opinion is the acquisition organizations that support that U.S. Space Force will be really, really interesting in terms of the architectures that they can deliver and the speed with which they need to deliver. So for a young airman, a first-term airman, or a first-term, you know, a lieutenant that's out there that's looking for an exciting career that is technically based and just on the leading edge of uh, what this country needs to be able to do, uh, I would look at the space acquisition perspective, and I don't care whether it's from a uh, an engineering perspective, an S&T perspective, contracting or program management or logistics uh, perspective, it's a great time to be involved in U.S. space. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right, Ken. Thanks very much. Welcome to the podcast. Could you introduce yourself and explain what you do for the Air Force? I'm Donna Seneft. I'm uh, the chief scientist for Global Strike Command within the Air Force. And Global Strike Command owns all of the bombers in the Air Force. We have the B-1 bomber, the B-2, the, the venerable B-52, and then we also own the ICBMs. So we're the nuclear deterrent uh, in addition to conventional bombing uh, for the Air Force. And my role is, as chief scientist is to be a bridge between uh, technologists and the operators who need technology. So we reach out to AFRL, the Air Force Research Lab. We reach out to universities, small businesses, large businesses, all kinds of of people who develop and transition technology. And I explain to them what Global Strike Command may need in the future and help us uh, assist in that transition of getting technology from the laboratory into operations. And from your role as chief scientist, what excites you most about the future of Air Force science and technology? I think this is a very exciting time. Uh, We have uh, technologies exploding within the commercial sector, things like machine learning, uh, digital engineering, uh, data analytics, and we can use all those technologies to bring into the Air Force to try out new technologies uh, virtually see how they would make an impact in Air Force operations, modify them, and go through that whole cycle many times before we actually commit to building the technology and and put that expense into it. If uh, you had a message for airmen coming in, doing something similar to your work, uh, what message do you have for them starting off? 
Well, one thing that we're trying to get across to airmen is that we want their good ideas. We are pushing innovation, and we know that the airmen at the lowest level, up, up through the highest level, they all have good ideas uh, about how to do their job, and we want, uh, we're encouraging them to speak out about their ideas, and we have money to take those ideas, put them into fruition, and, and then we're trying to disseminate the, the best results across the command. I'm Brian Waisaki. Um, I'm the Air Force Senior Tech Advisor for C4I and Cyber. Uh, most of my work comes out of the Information Directorate out of the AFRL. I'm really excited with the technologies in the Air Force and, and the future Air Force that we're designing because it's going to enable our warfighters to focus on the things that are important, to help make decisions with rather than mounds of data, but with information that has been sorted and prioritized for decision makers and have global awareness across the battle space um, to include airspace and cyber. So to me it's exciting because it's allowing our airmen to focus on the important parts of the job and to remove some of the tedium that takes place in all of the overabundance of information that's available to decision makers now. So the future Air Force is going to be faster, more efficient, and I think much more deadly as information science pervades all of our missions. I'm Lieutenant General Jim Slife. I'm the commander of the Air Force Special Operations Command. Uh, I've been in the Air Force for about 30 years uh, and I've spent most of that time in the special operations community both at the, the unit level uh, and then also um, at the combatant command level working at United States Special Operations Command. Could you share anything about the mission of your command? Absolutely. So AFSOC is the Air Force Service Component of U.S. Special Operations Command. So what we do is we organize, train, and equip Air Force Special Operations Forces uh, for deployment and employment uh, by joint Special Operations Commands around the, uh, around the globe. So everything from, from every geographic combatant command theater has a slice of AFSOC in it. The U.S. Special Operations Command uh, here in the United States has a slice of AFSOC. So really we're all about building the force of the future and deploying it in support of our nation's objectives. That's great. So as you build that force of the future, what excites you most about the science and technology that the Air Force is partaking in? One of the things that we've learned in the U.S. Special Operations Command is that each of the service components are most effective when they're closest to their parent service. And so in AFSOC, we kind of identify ourselves as airmen with a specialty of special operations uh, rather than special operators who happen to be airmen. And so because of that, we have a very close affinity, a close relationship uh, with the Air Force. And so what I'd like to think is that we can provide some of the speed and agility that the U.S. Special Operations Command is, is known for to Air Force science and technology efforts. And so there are a lot of things that we can do quickly, um, experiment, learn lessons that are applicable to the, to the broader uh, United States Air Force. So this is what excites me the most, is the opportunity to serve as a pathfinder for other parts of the Air Force. Way to put it. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. My name is Mike Fantini, and I've got the best two-star job in the Air Force. Uh, I'm the director of the Air Force Warfighting Integration Capability. Many folks have heard that as uh, AFWIC, and in our job in AFWIC, I, I distill it down to just four words. Design, integrate, develop, and impact. 
design the future concepts of what the, our Air Force is going to do. Like where are we where are we going in the future? Integrate across our core functions, and so our twelve core functions and the mission areas of air superiority, nuclear deterrence, uh, rapid global mobility, ISR, agile combat support. Those all apply. But our challenge has always been to integrate across those. And so our mission is to integrate sooner. And, and that's uh, an immense challenge, uh, but we're working towards making that better for the chief and the secretary. Execute capability development. What does capability development guidance look like at an operational and strategic level? And I'm trying to stay out of the alphabet soup of the JROCs and AFROCs and, and analysis of alternatives and those types of things, which are all still going on. But what is the guidance that we're giving to the force and the change from the core function lead integrator concept to capability development at an operational strategic level? And then finally, impact. Impact our resourcing. So you might have an advanced concept uh, that looks into the future, but unless you begin to pivot resources towards proving and making that concept a reality, it becomes interesting but immaterial. And so our job is to work very closely with the folks that uh, in the acquisition community as well as the A8, the resourcing community, to begin to pivot to put our resources where we believe the most bang will come from the buck, for uh, most bang for the buck. So it's design, integrate, develop, and impact. Given your position and your perspective, what excites you most about the future of Air Force science and technology? So what excites me uh, a, whole, a whole heck of a lot is one, uh, Bill Cooley, uh, Major Chairman Bill Cooley and I have become uh, uh, pretty much phone friends, uh, civets, VTC friends, um, and the collaboration with uh, Bill and Jack Blackhurst and the team at AFRL uh, Chris Ristich at the, uh, in Speedy and the experimentation side of the house. What excites me is the alignment that we have with what we believe to see in the future for our Air Force and Bill and Chris's excitement to help make that happen. Uh, and while we're doing this, you know, developing the analytics to kind of prove that we have the right answer. You know, so again, it kind of goes back to some of these advanced concepts and what have you. Unless you begin to prove that, and then go put some blood, sweat, and engineering tears behind that, it won't become a reality. And so that's what really excites me is figuring out if that's really going to uh, produce. And so that's become a pretty pretty neat relationship. All right, Kenneth, that's uh, Major General Carl Schaefer. I'm the Deputy Commander for Air Force Materiel Command and uh, work at Wright Pat, but uh, part of an amazing team of 80,000 folks within uh, AFMC. And uh, what message do you have for AFRL or the Air Force as a whole? Yeah, I think I really the message is for uh, for AFMC as a whole. You know, General Bunch has mentioned, our commanders mentioned that AFMC is the most important command in the Air Force to enable the national defense strategy. I mean, we are the most important command, and the driver within our command for innovation is AFRL. And so we're counting on this amazing workforce with an AFRL to think about what, what, what it's going to take to stay ahead of our adversary and then to transition those technologies quickly uh, to the warfighter. And how do you see that changing here in even the next few years for 2030 and beyond? 
Well, a couple things. One, we, we've just gotten through uh, a, a really neat initiative called the AFMC We Need Initiative. So hopefully uh, many of your listeners have uh, taken part in, in interviews or done surveys, and we're combing through tons of data right now, and Journal Bunch is reading all the comments. And out of that, um, we're going to come up with a strategy to get after all those things to enable the AFMC we need to get after the Air Force we need. So I, I see great change great changes coming within uh, AFMC, just to kind of re-vector our command a little bit to focus on 10, 20, 30 years from now to make sure we have the AFMC we need to enable the national defense strategy. And the other question I had was, uh, for new airmen, let's say joining AFMC or even the Air Force, do you have any inspiring messages or things you'd like them to know before getting into it? Yeah, I would just say welcome to the most important command in the Air Force. It, it is it is an amazing team of folks that we have. And our, our mission, really, we are the portal for all capabilities, all logistics, all infrastructure for the Air Force. And that's really what makes us the most important command. Um, for the Air Force, especially right now. So really, I'd be telling them, folks, hey, get excited. This is a great time to be in AFMC. I've never seen the uh, um, uh, this command get so excited about being part of AFMC and getting after the things our nation needs us to do. So, sir, welcome to the, the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me in. Um, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and what you do for the Air Force? Sure. I'm General Scott Kane. I'm the 96th Test Wing Commander at Eglin Air Force Base and the Installation Commander. What are some of the mission of Eglin Air Force Base? Yeah, so Eglin is a it's an incredibly diverse place. So the great thing about Eglin is everything uh, about the national defense strategy, we have a piece of it. So we're training new F-35 pilots, we're training F-22 pilots, Army Special Forces soldiers. But the thing that really gets me excited is that there is a test wing there, an operational test wing there. There's the Air Force Research Lab. There are the program offices for weapons. And with making a more lethal fast, doing it smarter, faster, uh, developing the weapon systems for the future, all of those are right there at Eglin. Yeah, you have the whole story. <laughs> That's right. And uh, so one of the things that I'm doing there is is trying to channel those forces to, together so that we can make that lab to warfighter spectrum happen fast and get, get capabilities to the field. Okay, sir, what excites you most from your perspective about the future of Air Force science and technology? The most exciting part of it is when it becomes reality. So I've been in the development business for, for a while now, and I know that we will take what we have from the lab, move it into the field, and we're gonna do that fast. And seeing that actually get into the field, get into the hands of our warfighters, see it work in combat is the thing that excites me most. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Make sure to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube at AF Research Lab. And remember, stay curious. Logging off.